On this edition of the Desert News Youth Insiders Podcast, we talk basketball, men and women. We also meet up with Jimmy Soto in our Utah by Five segment, and we talk about our good friend Bruce Woodbury, who passed away. This and more on the Desert News Youth Insiders Podcast. This is Brian Holman, head coach. University of Utah men's lacrosse program, and you're listening to the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. We have our first game February 1st, uh, the opening of the men's lacrosse program at the University of Utah in Rice-Eccles Stadium at 4 p.m. against Vermont. We'd love to have everybody come out and see the Utes uh, take on the Vermont Catamounts in this, this historic event. Welcome to yet another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. I'm Dirk Fraser, joined here with Mike Sorensen and Trent Wood. Guys, we're back at it, huh? It's good to be here. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. It's basketball season. Let's dive right in. The Utes, uh, 9-8, and eight, barely above 500. Mike, do you see them climbing above 500 by season's end? It's going to be tough. They're going to be uh, – I think they're just a 500 team, and I think this weekend's going to be a key one for them because they got two winnable games, and if they can win one or both of those, that can go a long way towards giving them a winning record. But if they lose both of them, I think they're going to be under 500. Trent, you had a chance to see the Utes in action. What, uh, you think there's a problem, or do you think they're just young? I mean, I think this is just who they are. I think it's far enough in the season that you have to, kind of like Mike just said, they're a 500 team. There's going to be games where they play well. There's going to be games where they don't. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I kind of misspoke saying, will they get above 500? They are above 500. But my question was, do you ever see a point where maybe they're two or three games above 500, or do you think they really are going to be a 50-50 team this year? Well, like I say, this weekend is key because they've got, uh, if they can win those both, they're I mean, three games above 500, and that should keep them up for quite a while. They got two two home games after that, right? And so I think, uh, but these are two of the worst teams in the league, at least two of the four worst. So if they lose these games, it's going to be a. I think it's going to be an uphill battle the rest of the year for them. You know, Sunday night the Utes uh, beat Colorado 78 to 69. Very interesting game because the first half the Utes probably played as good as they played all season long. Uh, do you think do we get a glimpse of what they can be? this season, or do you think that was just an aberration maybe? I mean, they held Colorado 19 points in the first half. We've seen that all season, though, haven't we, where they had one great half and one terrible half, or poor <laughs> half. I mean, it's, been, it's just been a, t- a typical thing, you know, going back to the preseason. They had this, they just blow a team out, and then they kind of let up. They just can't put teams away or something. It's kind of an odd thing, but uh, it's nothing new with the Utes. I mean, that has to go to their youth, right? Right. You think the more experienced they'd be, the more consistent they'd be. And it's just as a young team, they have moments where they play really well and moments where they don't. Right. Well, Larry Kristoviak at his uh, press conference this week kind of summarized the Colorado game, and uh, let's hear from Coach. No, I, I think it's uh, it's kind of a microcosm of our whole season, except we were fortunate enough to get a win and be fairly dominant in one of those halves. But it's uh, right before your eyes. All we had to do was play 40 minutes and get a good indication of, of when we're successful and when we're not successful. And it really started with some defensive energy and sharing the ball. When when we brought those two to the table, we were as good as we've been all year. And when we got a little bit interested in seeing if we were, you know, we had five straight shots to end the first half that were, were not Utah shots. It was kind of a test to see. You know, things were so easy, let's just sling up some points here and had a couple charges and a couple ill-advised shots and uh, that was a little downer at halftime and then came out. We didn't play with the same aggressiveness, obviously, on the defensive end and, and they went on a on a little run, you know, the second half. So, uh, 
we're, we talk about both. They're going to see clips of when we were really good and clips when we weren't and keep affirming what it is when we play good basketball and hopefully through these experiences and the visual and going through it, it's going to validate more what it is we're talking about. Yeah, that was good to hear from the coach. Mike, you're going on the trip this week to Stanford and Cal. Um, what are you expecting? You kind of mentioned that these are two of the poorer teams in the conference, obviously, but... Uh, uh, Larry Kostoviak said that Stanford's got a lot of long, tall guys, and they could cause some problems. Do you uh, see any problems on this trip? No, just playing Stanford alone is a problem because they've, they're 0 and 5 there. They haven't won in, at it's at Stanford since 1966. It's way back. Wow. It's even longer than Arizona. They won there in the 80s at least. So right. this has been the worst place for them to play, along with Arizona, since they've been in the Pac-12. So um, yeah, they've lost five games, but uh, one was by one, one was by two, one was by three, one was by five. Five, six last time around, so right. they've always been close. They had one blowout, so it's just a tough place for them to go. Even though they've had better teams, even those teams with Delon Wright and Yaka well, Pertle, those and, free throws that one year, yeah, they should have won the game. Kyle Kuzma, they had two NBA guys on that team, and they missed four in the last 19 seconds. They should have won that game in 16. Last uh, in 17, they uh, I was over for that game, and they they uh, it was tied with about five minutes to go, and they just went down the stretch. They just couldn't hang on. So. For some reason, it's a tough place to win, no matter how good Stanford is. Stanford's just kind of a—they're about like Utah this year. They're just a 500 team. They're two and four in the league, so um, they have the advantage of being at home. But it's one that Utah can certainly take if they if they play like they play when they play better. Well, and then Saturday at Cal, that that should be a W. It should be. Uh, Cal's five and eleven. They're zero and six in league. Uh, they're the worst in the league. So if Utah loses that game, that's going to be a long upward struggle the rest of the year. I think they'll be. They could finish in the you know the bottom four if that happens. But two wins this week. They have then they have two home games in the against the Oregon schools. They can be right back in the top three or four, and then you know from there if they get confidence, they could hang on and maybe have a, a decent finish and be eleven and seven or twelve and six or something like that and be in the top four. Again. With the tournament uh, in, in Vegas kind of being wide open this year, can the number four seed win the tournament? I mean, if Utah were to sneak in the top four, is it out of the realm of possibility oh, no. that last they could be year, Washington or Arizona? In you know, the last year they were, uh, I mean, getting in the top four is, is, is a very good possibility because they always seem to get there. Right. And this year, you figure there's really three good teams in the league Washington, Arizona, Arizona State are, are kind of above the rest. So Utah can flip into that, slip into that fourth spot. And then it's, you know, I think those teams aren't so outstanding. You know, in the past, Arizona was always so great when they were a top 10 team. Utah figured they'd never beat them. And Oregon always was great. And Oregon lost their best player this year. So, no, there's a chance. But they've got a, it's a long ways away and a long, a long uphill battle to get there because they've got to they've be a lot more consistent than they have been. Trent, if the young guys develop, do you see them being a contender at the end? If they, you know, Obviously, a guy like Timmy Allen right now is on a trajectory where he's getting double-doubles all of a sudden in that. If he gets better than that, do you see it out of the realm of possibility that they can get in that top four? Yeah, I mean, if they continue to improve the way they have, I mean, like you said, they're, they already are playing well. I think you can argue that their freshmen have been their most consistent performers this year, maybe different ones at different times. Right. And so you would think that as the season goes on, they'd get more experience, more comfort playing basketball in college, and the team would improve. Mike, let's jump to attendance for just a minute uh, have you seen tennis this low? And well, you covered this team for a long time. about one of my one of my pet peeves is, <laughs> you know, I was at those preseason games and they would say ten thousand people were there and the curtains were closed and that's so that meant there were only eight thousand seats below. You know, there must have been two thousand people hiding up above. Plus, it was uh, maybe only half full. So attendance has been, you know, I, I go back to the days I covered Rick Majerus, those teams for almost ten years, and you know, it used to be fourteen thousand plus a night, and it was fourteen thousand. There was, you know, it was packed right to the rafters. And so nowadays they 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 count people who 
would just buy the tickets. But I still have a problem thinking that there's the other night. Okay, it said ten thousand right for that game on Sunday afternoon. I figured no more than four thousand. That's what I would guess. What do right. you think? Oh, no, I think you're right. Yeah, it was so, about four thousand. So I mean, and they came late too. Oh well, of course, yeah. And so they just. Uh, so I'm thinking if there's four thousand people there. You know, are, are there 6,000 people who bought seats who aren't coming? I mean, that does. And I, th- I just don't buy that. Something's going on there where I just, <laughs> right. you know, I know it happens everywhere too. All right. over the country, people inflate their, their stats. Although there's some teams in the Pac 12 who it says two or 3,000 people. And, you know, so they must not be inflating near as much as, as Utah is. But it does, it, does, it does make you scratch your head and wonder how they can continually have 10,000 every game when there's never more than six or 7,000 at the most and maybe three or 4,000. Maybe Trent, with uh, being the youngster here, can address this better. Is college basketball not a cool place to go watch games now? I mean, is the NBA so big that college basketball is secondary? I know people love to tout college football and the NBA, especially here in Salt Lake, as reasons for why attendance at the U's down. But I think college basketball games, the environment as a fan there, is the most fun environment of any sporting event you can go to. It's just loud, and you're on your feet the entire time. Like, college football games are really fun, but it's so long, and it there's lulls in the game. But college basketball is almost nonstop action, on your feet, screaming. Right. The attendance thing, I think it has to go just a lack of consistency with Utah basketball. I think if they were consistently one of the top three teams in the Pac-12 and making the tournament regularly at least like every other year, I think people would go. But the fact that they go to the NIT and they have years where they step back and so many transfers from the team as well every year, there's no continuity and fans don't get to latch right. on to players. I think that you know, I did a story on that uh, last year or so about the transfers and that, and it's just an epidemic, I think across the board, but obviously it hurts because fans don't get to associate with certain players and all that. Mike, you and I have been going to these games for years and that. In the past, am I wrong, when the attendance dipped, that's usually when a coaching change came shortly thereafter just because the program obviously wasn't doing what they were winning consistently. Do you think the fans are staying away because there is no consistency with the wins, or do you think times have just changed in college basketball? Is I think it's mostly it the is. latter. Times have changed. I mean, I, I hate to f- sound like an old-timer, but when I was in college back in the 70s, you know, they would fill up, you know, sections A, B, and C with, with, with uh, students all the way to the top, you know. Now you look over at the must section, and there's maybe – it's just a slight, I mean, there's maybe a couple hundred fans. And my son's actually one of them. And he talks about it, how there's just no interest among the students. So that's that's dipped considerably. And then also, I think it's just generally college basketball everywhere you look has gone down. I mean, hate to say it, but most of the fans there are, you know, people that are older fans that have probably been coming since for the last 30 or 40 years. And, and they don't see a lot of younger people. And I think that's a case all over the country. You see all these these huge arenas, you know, Weber State has a huge arena and they don't get very many people in Wyoming and all these places that have these big, huge arenas that back in the 70s, that was a big deal. Now, I think that if they were building them, they'd build them probably half as big because it's just, I'm afraid to say that uh, college basketball has just kind of gone down and it's going to, I'm afraid it's going to keep going down or stay the same. Too much TV? Could be part of it. And it's just interesting, you know, the pros are more and, and, and just too many other interests besides you know, besides sports, too. And I agree with Trent. The environment there is great. I mean, it's a fun place. And I see it'd be fun to, if I wasn't so dang old, but uh, young'uns bring their kids. It's a, it's a fun atmosphere and environment. And, uh, you know, we'll see. And I think Larry Kristoviak and his staff, they work awful hard, and they put that program back on the map. But uh, a couple of years away from the NCAA tournament, people forget, you know, and they want to they see some winning. Um, speaking of winning... 
The Utah women are on a roll. Trent? They just got their first top 25 ranking in over a decade. At number 21, they jumped in. They have one loss. They just continue to roll against everybody they play. Yeah, the women, Lynn Roberts has done a great job getting that program back on the map and that. They're fun to watch. And now they're kind of going into a difficult stretch, of scheduling stretch. I believe they play ranked teams, the next three opponents. Are we going to find out how good they are at the end of this, or is it too early in the season? I mean, they do have an easy game before those three, so they should be able to get at least one more win, and then they have three top ten teams. Oh, I mean, if they can win, I think if they can win one of those games, you're sitting there going, Utah is a real team. I mean, they host they host a couple, I believe, and then they go to Stanford. I think they host Oregon and Oregon State and go to Stanford. I think if they can win one of those games at home, you have to say that they are a top four Pac-12 team and a legitimate NCAA tourney team. Mike, what do you think's turned that program around? Because Lane Elliott did a lot of good things, but they had some, some tough years after that. And jumping into the Pac-12, where there's a bunch of ranked teams, <laughs> not easy. Yeah, it's, I think it's a lot of it's. it's uh, Lynn Roberts has done a great job. She's, you know, it's all about getting players, and she's kind of followed the the, the idea that. Uh, Elaine Elliott had of getting these Canadian players. She's got a few people from Canada, and she's also got some players from uh, California and Las Vegas. So I think, uh, you know, if you get good players, you, you know, and she found that player from South Dakota that's kind of a diamond in the rough. So that's the main thing. But like, I, like you guys were talking about, it's, it's all going to come down to, uh, you know, we'll find out f- how, how real this is. They're obviously better than they have been, but uh, they could easily u- lose all three of those games to top 10 teams. And there's a couple other teams that are, that are very tough in the league too. So Utah could easily lose, you know, six or seven packed 12 games but even if they do that they if they don't lose the games they should win they should still make it to the NCAAs yeah that's the thing I mean compared to the men you know the conference is, is brutal it's tough and that and you don't necessarily need to finish in the top two or even make the you know to make a statement John, do you think uh do you agree with Mike? Six, seven losses, they can still get in the NCAA tournament just because of the strength of the, of the conference? Yeah, I mean, especially if they're competitive in those losses, because I know that selection committees look at that. If they're blown out, maybe not. But if they're competitive against the elite teams and are able, I think they could be in. Biggest thing with them is they're, they've lost these players to injuries. Well, yeah. They've lost this season in, in the injury to their second top scorer. So, and then they've had another recent injury, and I don't know if she, how long she's out. But I don't you know, know if they've announced it they're, yet. They're only down to you know seven or eight players, and that's that can hurt a lot in the in the Pac-12 with just the depth factor and so as good as they are if they don't if they're missing two of their top players it's going to be tough to to finish high in the league it's a great story up on the hill though just what they're doing so far and it's obviously a fun team to watch now this has been a tough week up on the hill uh, with the loss of Bruce Woodbury the longtime sports information director community relations guy uh, Mike you knew him probably as well as anybody uh, sad to see but he's had so many health issues over the last few years that you know, it's that old cliche that maybe it was a blessing. Yeah, it was. It's sad. I mean, we we it wasn't surprised. We we've seen Woody. He's kind of been in bad, you know, shape the last year or so. And yeah, I, I did. I worked for him for three years up at the U uh, in the sports information uh, office, and so I was pretty close to him. And then, of course, I traveled with the Utes throughout the 80s and the 90s, and so I must have gone on dozens and dozens of road trips with him out to dinner at various places. So, yeah, Woody was always a, he was just a terrific guy. You know, everybody liked Woody. It's just, a, that's the thing about him, and um, it was just a, a extremely sad to see that happen because, you know, he was just such a great guy. He is, and, you know, he's got a great wife, and now Nancy was, you know, we saw she'd bring him to the games in the last year or so, and she was just always there with him, and uh, Great family, and uh, I think a lot of us can trace our careers getting a boost from Woody. You know, I recall, you know, working back at the Chronicle back in the day, and 
when you go on football, he'd take the Chronicle people on a football trip or two every year, and uh, those were really neat because on Friday nights before the game, Woody used to get all the media together to go out to eat. And, uh, you know, being a young punk from the Chronicle and being able to sit down with John Mooney and Dick Rosetta and Brad Rock and guys like that, it was just, and Bill Marcroft, you know, it was just incredible. And those, you got to know those guys, and then they'd see something in the Chronicle, they'd, you know, whether it was true or not, they'd say, hey, I liked your story or something, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you got to know him, and it was, it was kind of fun. And, uh, you know, I think we have a lot of fond memories of Woody and just a really super nice guy all the time. Yeah, I remember about Woody too. When he mentioned those dinners, is he had this thing about he would always order and he'd always look over after the orders came. He'd look at said, "Man, I wish I would have got that." He always <laughs> he always second guessed himself. You know, he he didn't uh, wasn't sure of what he what he ordered, but uh, he was just a, a pleasure well, to go how with. How about and, the arguments with Marcroft, right? Like oh yeah, yeah, that was always share good, ribs yeah. or something. He'd say, "Well, you had eleven and I had nine, so you're going to pay twenty six fifty and I'm going to pay eighteen seventy five. Yeah, know? and it's kind of gone away now. I don't think the SIDs. I mean, I don't know. You've been years since. They've taken us out to Sadly, not taken us I, in there, I but gone out with us alone to dinner. on the road. Yeah, yes. that's true. But, <laughs> but uh, Woody was a terrific guy. Yeah, Woody's uh, viewing and funeral later this week, and I, I expect to see a lot of familiar faces. And you know, it's interesting uh, here on the radio and that Chris Hill and everybody. And I think Chris Hill said, "When you think of Woody, you smile." And uh, and that's that's kind of how I think how we all remember him. And uh, and we all have a million funny stories about him uh, that. It'll get shared over the years, but he left quite a legacy, and it's just like you said, Mike, he's just a good man, and that was that's the best sure. way to describe him. So, let's move on to our Utah by five segment this week. Caught up with former Utah guard Jimmy Soto, who does the color commentary for the radio, and uh, we talked about a variety of topics. So, we'll play that for you now. I'm Tom Barberi, and it's time for Utah by Five, where we catch up with the people who built the program we love. All right, we're joined on our Utah by Five segment by Jimmy Soto. Jimmy, a former Ute, and now you're calling the games on the radio. What do you like better? Wow, that's not even close. I like to play. I didn't like to practice, but I like to right. play. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. This is my 10th season, actually, doing oh, the radio. Right? It goes by so fast, just like playing. But... Um, you know, I enjoy it. It allows me to, you know, be around the game still a little bit. Uh, don't have to be a coach, so you don't don't go home with the wins and the losses and right. the turnovers and the missed blockouts and that sort of thing. But uh, still passionate about the team, and uh, it's fun to be around the guys and see them grow and develop while they're here. So it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, I also have a job in the athletic department. Can you tell us what you're doing these days? Yeah, so um, my official title, assistant athletic director for major gifts, uh, fundraising, uh, for all the sports, all the department, annual funds, scholarships, facilities. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of progress facility-wise since right. uh, we joined the Pac-12. So uh, it's been a lot of fun to see the way um, the department has grown and, and the facilities and, and the athletes and things that we're able to provide for them now. Um, but um, And then I'm also the sport administrator for our baseball program and the golf program. So work with those two coaches on a regular basis uh, with, you know, uh, academics with the athletes, uh, student welfare, facilities, uh, their needs, their budgets, that sort of thing. So I've uh, been pretty fortunate to have a playing career here at Utah and then also uh, being able to circle back and be involved with the department on a daily basis. Now it's been, what, 25 years since you played? Does it seem like that? And- you say it's, uh, you know, every time <laughs> you see me, it's kind of weird seeing these gray hair. So, right. yeah, it is uh 
It's uh, pretty crazy to think that it's gone by that fast. My, you know, my last game was in the spring of '93, and uh, here we are in the almost in the spring of uh, 2019. Yeah, we're going on 26. So, yeah, 26 years since uh, since I played here at Utah, and uh, a lot of fun memories, and uh, you know, enjoyed my time here when I had it. Uh, everybody that played for Rick Majerus has a bunch of Rick Majerus stories. Is there is there one that uh, clean enough to go on our podcast that you can remember? Oh man, a memory you have? I tried to try to have a short term memory with <laughs> Rick. There was a lot of days when you couldn't wait to get out of there. But you know, he was uh, he had his moments. Obviously, in practice, you hear a lot of stories, and but uh, at the same time, there are a lot of things that he did uh, outside of the gym and in the community and with friends and family as far as helping people out that uh, maybe didn't get uh, you know too, as much recognition right. as his tirades but um, it was definitely tough and challenging uh, playing for Rick but um, yeah, he got the best out of everybody he really understood how to put uh, pieces together put guys in positions uh, to make them uh, uh, their, to be most successful based on their abilities and how they could help the program. And um, so that was a great learning experience with, with all of that. And, uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's just so many things with, uh, with Coach. <laughs> probably best uh, for another time. Keep them in the vault. Okay. <laughs> hey, well, you've had a chance to watch this year's team. They've been kind of struggling around 500 thus far. Are you seeing development? I mean, you you have the best seat in the house for most of the games. Uh, what are you seeing out of this team? Well, I think it, it's just taking some time. We've had you know so many new faces, a lot of young guys that um, have a lot to learn. And when you come from high school to the next level, and I think it's changed a lot with AAU basketball, where you, you maybe not as much teaching and uh, more coaching, uh, you know, as much coaching, but more playing and competition. So a lot for these guys to learn and um, so you're seeing them t start to progress now they're starting to play again not think so much you can see it they're gaining a little more confidence uh, a lot more chemistry guys are starting to you know understand their roles and um, see if we can keep the momentum going but I think we have a, a really good core group of young players that if they um, you know continue to develop to develop and uh, we should be pretty solid down the road. Oh, well, Jimmy, thanks for joining us. appreciate it. Sure, thanks for having me. All right, we're back. Just a reminder, the pro football is coming to Rice-Eccles Stadium. It's coming soon. Next month, the Salt Lake Stallions take the field. You can get season tickets by calling 1-833-AAF-2019 or go to their website, saltlakestallions.com. Guys, there's a lot of familiar faces on the Stallions. I think uh, Trez Anderson, Trevor Riley, Matt Asiata, and a few of the guys, uh, Jeremiah Putasi. And uh, you guys going to go up and catch a game? Uh, we'll, we'll yes, see. You know, yeah, we'll see. I think uh, <laughs> it depends on the weather. <laughs> it's going to be interesting, you know, because it's going to be a, it's a different time of year that people aren't used to right. watching football. So that's going to be, and then you know, it depends on the weather and also but basketball, how good that's going. And but yeah, it, it'll be fun to see familiar faces for sure, guys that people know. If it was just a lot of you know people you never heard of, it might be, be a little different. But it's right. great that they're getting some local guys like that. And then having Dennis Erickson come back to coach is great, and I think everybody who worked with him here liked him. And Trent, uh, you know about Dennis. Erickson well from living in Florida. I mean, won a couple of national championships down there in his day. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd go well, but I know. Yeah, him. <laughs> you know, you know of him. Let's say yeah, he left a mark there. So 
just a reminder, again, get your season tickets, uh, go to their website, and uh, that's exciting. Guys, any final words? Uh, Trent, how about the Red Rocks? I mean, they are making a program history, which is crazy considering the history of that program. They've had the best start ever in Utah gymnastics history. Um, I have a story coming out later this week about one of the gymnasts who has been responsible for it, aside from Michaela Skinner, and it's Macy Roberts. She's a transfer who was at Maryland to start her career, but she's having the best year of her gymnastics career. Another uh, good reason to transfer to Utah, right? There it is. There you go. And then talking about youth football a little bit, I had a chance to catch up with Coach Whittingham a little bit on the phone yesterday when we were talking about uh, the loss of Woody, and he said that recruiting was, was going gangbusters and they were happy with the way things are going and like every coach in America. Uh-huh. you know, They got another to, quarterback, right? Yeah, another quarterback. Yeah. Uh, more, more controversy for next year. Yeah, you know, likely he's, he's – you know he's got the transfer rule, so but he and Jason Shelley, Cameron Rising, and uh, you know it looks like a good one. You know it looks like he's in that mold of uh, Jack Tuttle and uh, Southern California guy. So that'll be interesting to two, see. Two more months is all right before we got spring ball. Ah, oh, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. That's okay. I'm going to editorialize here. I think spring football is one of the stupidest things in the world. I just think that there's no reason to fire everything up and then shut it down again. You know, are we still on the air? We're still on the air. <laughs> I'm just that's my editorial comment. <laughs> Maybe it's because I want a vacation that time of year. But no, the guys work hard, and I appreciate all that. I just it just really amazes me that you get everything fired up and then you turn it down. Some it's people like, love it all year long. You it's know, like so. revving the engine of your yeah. new car and and then turning it off and going back inside. Six months later, you're, then you're going to drive it. But I understand. I just it's it's just one of those interesting things to cover because every year there's always these heroes that come out of spring ball and they never take the field. In the you never fall. hear their name again <laughs> ever. You never yeah. hear them. And so it's you know it's, it's it's a quandary, but we do it anyway. Hey, it beats loading a truck, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the Utah lacrosse program, as we heard uh, from Coach Holman at the start, they're going to have their inaugural game at Rice Eccles Stadium on February first. It's a big deal, isn't it, guys? Yeah, I mean, especially lacrosse is very much an Eastern United States sport, so the fact that Utah has an NCAA team is kind of a big deal. And Vermont. So talk about East Coast. Yeah. Vermont will be the opponent. Mike, uh, did you get your season tickets yet? I haven't yet. I'm not a I'm not a big lacrosse guy, and I don't know a lot about it, but I do know a lot of my friends have kids that have played lacrosse, kids especially over in California, and it's a huge deal in certain places, especially back east, like you say. But it's kind of the up-and-coming sport, and maybe in another 20 or 30 years it'll be a major sport. We don't know. But uh, for now, it's great that they get the program going, and that's going to— you know, we'll see what see what happens. Well, you know, one of the neat things is obviously in this uh, era where programs are disappearing because of funding and that, it's nice to see a program actually get started. And, and you know, fans can be at the historic game on February 1st and uh, playing at Rice Eccles Stadium. That's kind of a, a big venue to start this off. And uh, so it should be a lot of fun. Um, Guys, we appreciate you listening. Just a reminder, again, for the Salt Lake Stallions, their season's coming up. Go to their website, saltlakestallions.com. Also, just a reminder, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and anywhere else you can get fine podcasts. Go to deseretnews.com as well. Uh, guys, we'll see you later. So long. Bye.